Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. We are going to be saluting a true Minnesota legend tonight, a man I was honored to say was a friend of mine. The late Clyde Bellacourt, Native American civil rights leader and founder of the American Indian Movement, passed away on January 11th at the age of 85. We're going to be talking with several people that knew uh, Clyde and celebrate this wonderful man and the powerful life he led. First up, one of the current heads of the American Indian Movement is Lisa Bellinger, who, and we're going to find out a little bit about her mother, the beginnings of uh, AIM, and uh, hear what Lisa has to say about the late, great Clyde Bellacourt. Lisa, how are you this evening? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thanks for taking time to chat with us. Tell us a little bit about your history and your mother, Pat. Uh, so, bonjour, everybody. Um, yeah, I, my mother uh, was part of the American Indian Movement from its formation um, startup in the 60s in St. Paul, Minnesota. And... You know, I, I don't believe I've ever heard the story of, like, how her and Clyde met. But I know that their paths crossed through Eddie Benton Bonet, who um, had met Clyde in, in Stillwater State Prison and had, you know, introduced her um, he, where he learned, where Clyde learned about, you know, like a cultural that big cultural influence and how it kept Eddie strong while he was behind bars. And they wanted to um, carry this teaching and knowledge forward out of the prison. Once they got out, they reunited. And my mom, um, Edward lived in St. Paul and my mom lived in St. Paul. So there was some interaction amongst the American Indian community and, um, so I re- I remember I grew up with AIM. I remember being the copy girl at the AIM AIM meetings. We would run one of those <laughs> mimeographs, those kind you have to turn the handle to crank out copies. And oh sure, um, yeah, helping in the kitchen with the food for the meetings and the community events. And so, you know, that meant growing up around Clyde Belcourt as well. And so Clyde became a, you know, a good friend and brother of my mother and thus, you know, my uncle. And I know that we have some family ties, you know, back in White Earth, but he was raised, I was raised, you know, he, he was my uncle when I was growing up. When I was a teenager, if I had problems and couldn't deal with my mom or she couldn't deal with my problems. And I would hear from uncle Clyde and auntie Peggy. <laughs> so, you know, it was like a real personal connection growing up with Clyde. He helped teach me how to drive. Um, he taught me how to be on the front lines in a protest, you know, like what, what do fathers and uncles do? <laughs> right. So that was right. Yep. I grew, I went to protest in Wisconsin. I was, I was all over. I'd wake, I'd find, he'd say, come on, we're going for a ride. And he has a daughter my age. And so 
her and I hung out quite a bit. And so they would come showing up at my house and she'd say, come for a ride with us. I'd say, okay. So I'd jump in a car and we'd end up in Wisconsin or we'd end up in South Dakota or Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, how many kids did uh, Clyde and Peggy have? Four. Okay. So when and now, so you grew up in the movement, and then when did you become uh, one of the uh, heads or directors of the American Indian Movement, Lisa? So, yeah, I was part of the movement for years and traveled, you know, just grew up with the movement. I'm a product of movement work and a product of movement influenced um you know, organizations. I graduated from Heart of the Earth Survival School and I graduated from American Indian OIC. And I remember going to the very first meeting where Dr. Sullivan came to Minneapolis and met with some Minneapolis community leaders about starting an American Indian OIC. And Dr. Sullivan was the founder and uh, CEO of OICs International. And you know, growing up and being in the movement all my life, um, you know, as uncle got older, he started to look at retiring. And although he said, I never retired, <laughs> he, <laughs> he turned over the reins. He said, you know, like, it's it's time that, you know, we put some people in leadership place and do that now while I'm here. And so he organized a press conference. And the next day, George Floyd was killed. You know, so oh, boy. Um, Frank Paro and I were on the ground, you know, moccasins on the ground, running quickly, moving fast, you know, right out of the chutes <laughs> the day after wow. the press conference, you know, and then we were within two days, we were three days, we were calling AIM Patrol back into action. We were attending rallies in support. And I remember our some of our younger AIM um, patrollers in the Minneapolis area. We were at 38th in Chicago and I heard he's got a gun. And next thing I know, my my crew grabbed me, pulled me back and circled around me. And then, um, you know, then I seen them take the guy that was like two people behind me. They apprehended him and moved him out of the crowd. So that must've been wow. the guy with the gun. I mean, like it was like right out of the shoots. We were, you know, but it wasn't new work for us, you know, that, right. like I said, I was raised with protests and demonstration marches and raised with an FBI file. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lisa Bellinger, tell us a little bit about, I know that Clyde Bellacourt reached out early on when he was dealing with uh, uh, how all the Native Americans were treated by the Minneapolis cops, and he reached out to the black community because there was sem uh, similar issues on, on the north side. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that joining of the forces? Yeah, that happened way back, way back in the 60s or 70s, um, where he connected with the black community, the leadership of the black community, and that was like how he began such a lifelong um, friendship and uh, partnership with Spike Moss out of out of the um, black community and um, over the years, like I want to say 17 or 18 years ago now, they created a community unity team 
and they began to address um, some of the police hold, restraints, practice, you know. So we had AIM patrol. And then eventually, um, and we supported, you know, our community connections at different events and rallies. And so they created a team and the team was to create a memorandum of agreement that looked at police practice and protocol and what needed to be changed. So there's a document that's 17 or 18 years old. And so the community unity team got back together again last year. Um, and Frank attended most of those meetings. I attended some of them, but I teach, so I couldn't get all the daytime meetings. So he, um, this document was reworked and has been in the process. And it also, the group together launched in our a mediation with the, um, a federal mediation with the Minneapolis Police Department, you know, because the last time they created this MOA and this agreement document between the community and the Minneapolis Police Department, it probably went into the circular file. Mm-hmm. So, right. So this time they put together, they requested a mediation, a federal mediation. And so the Department of Justice actually ran that mediation over a series of months last year. So the work, you know, started years ago and it just became more organized and has, you know, made, you know, we maintain connections, you know, with our different communities. Um, Like even during the riots, these riots of 2020, we helped to train um, even members of the Somali community approached us and said, you know, like, how are you, how are you doing your patrol? How can we do something similar? You know, how do we organize? What do we do? As well as many communities in South Minneapolis and neighborhood watch groups and such um, would come and we would, we would place them with little earth protectors. And then sometimes they would also ride along or participate with the game patrol as well so yeah those community connections are you know they're important well and and uh what a visionary clyde bellacourt was so what currently uh lisa bellinger is is aim working on so you know part of aim's vision and work has always been um reigniting and protecting the our language and culture and ensuring that that is there for our children. And like, that's the main, uh, the foundation of, of aim. And however, we will stand to protect treaty rights and um, threats to language and culture or sacred sites and such. Um, So this past, you know, we were working with, um, National Park Service, we, we hold a, a ceremonial dance in Pipestone, Minnesota every year for over 20 years. And we learned that there's a pipeline that's going cutting through the a portion of that property that would jeopardize our sacred stone, which is like the fundamental, one of the fundamental ceremonial objects of many tribes. So we began to un- 
address that pipeline issue and begin research, you know, and looking at strategy on stopping that pipeline or um, that's been operating without a permit for 67 years. Hmm. And yeah, yeah. And it, so as we're researching, um, we find out that, um, we find the names of children who are buried on that same grounds where we hold our ceremonial dance from the Pipestone boarding school. So there's, wow. we find the names of these children, but we can't find the grave and nobody hmm. seems to remember where the grave is, you know? So we're, we are, you know, in with the boarding school movement and finding the children who, you know, were lost during those boarding school days and we included the names of the children that we found in our dance. And so we're working on fi- trying to find family members of these children. But we're also looking at how do we create a cemetery or memorial on federal land to um, memorialize, you know, to pay tribute to these children. And also looking at like a national action for a day of remembrance or memorial for our children lost at boarding school. So that's on our, on our plate. Um, and again, you know, protecting sacred sites and protecting those sacred items and treaty lands and treaty rights will continue to be, you know, a platform for our work as well. Again, as ensuring that we have language and culture, um, and then protecting that for this year has, you know, our knowledge carriers, our elders, we had to protect them during, you know, COVID. And so our work also sure. included some COVID prevention, you know, vaccination, promoting vaccinations, promoting um, whatever we could do to protect our community and our knowledge keepers and our children, you know, from COVID. So we had some COVID prevention programming going on our medicine wheel healing project because to deal with the trauma and the increase in the deaths of, you know, suicides and overdoses and COVID related deaths, COVID related trauma. We had, we have ways in our culture that will help us deal with those traumas. And so we, we worked as well to make sure that we, our community had access to simple things like firewood so that we could have fires for our spirit, current fires for our people who um, began their journey or traditional tobacco fires. So people could just offer their tobacco, you know, in honor of somebody or um, healing. And so that's, that's just their most recent work. So. Well, you've got, you're doing a great work, and uh, I want to thank you for it. If people would like to donate to AIM, uh, is there a website where people could uh, support your work? Uh, our website is in progress right now, but we have, um, we have our Facebook page. We'll I guess the, big, the easiest way would be Woodland Bank, Minneapolis, okay. Woodland Bank, American Indian Movement. We have uh, an account there. 
and we do have a Facebook page um, that has our that has our um, information link. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lisa Bellinger, we've got we're going to touch some more people while we celebrate the life of the great Clyde Bellacourt. We'd like to thank you very much for being with us on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. And good luck to you in the future. And anything that comes up that Paul Metze and the Wall of Power Radio Hour on AM950 could help out with, you've got my number now. Just give me a buzz. You've got an open door policy on my show. Awesome, awesome. And our Facebook page is AIM Patrol of Minneapolis. So Great. That has thank our you, donation. Thank you so much, and everybody have a great day and great weekend. Much. Now we're going to listen to the great Floyd Westerman perform the classic tune, Custer Died for You Sins. That were spoken For the blood We have spilled All the treaties That were broken For the leaders You have still Welcome to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. We are saluting the life of the great Native American civil rights activist and founder of the AIM movement, Clyde Bellacourt. We have two people on the line from Mexico that have known Clyde for over 45 years. My good buddy, Larry Long, who's one of Minnesota's greatest troubadours, and his wife, Jacqueline Long, who's the Minneapolis attorney who who worked with the American Indian Movement for 45 years. She helped Clyde Bellacourt create and run the Elaine Stanley Peacemaker Center for Local Youth. We're excited to talk to both of them. Larry, how are you two doing tonight? We're doing really well, and I'm, uh, I'm very honored to have been asked to share some of my reflections about Clyde Bellacourt. Um, you know, as you, as you noted, we were friends and activists in the movement for over four decades. Yes, and, um, I know. And Clyde was a, I mean, he was a true patriot of not only the Anishinaabe Nation, but uh, but for the sovereign rights of all indigenous people on earth. And, you know, he was stolen from his people at an early age. He was sent off to boarding school in a Red Wing prison. Clyde was denied the basic rights of speaking and learning his native tongue and traditions of his people as a young child. And then back in the 1980s, Clyde brought me, you know, not long after we met, he brought me in to write songs collectively with indigenous youth in honor of their elders at um, Heart of the Earth Survival School in Minneapolis, of which he was one of the founders. And... Uh, and he was one of those those who came in to share the life story with those children. And, um, and those kids and I wrote a song in honor of Clyde 
about his early years uh, before AIM was founded. Uh, I can share with you some of those lyrics if you'd like. Please do. And the first few verses, when I was young, sent to mission school where I was forced to live by the rules, hit me with hoses until my fingers did bleed, kicked out of school and sent to Red Wing, digging ditches, unloading coal. I could feel my spirit go, escape from jail, turn myself back in, found myself back in prison again. From St. Cloud to still water behind prison walls, this young Ojibwe came whistling down the hall, brought in the pipe, cedar and sage, built a sweat lodge. Together we prayed, learned about our people each time we did meet. What we learned in prison we brought to the streets. Too many homeless, too much alcohol, still too much violence on both sides of the wall. In the heart of the earth, learned how to live. In the heart of the earth, learned how to give. In the heart of the earth, learned the meaning of my grandfather's song, my grandmother's love. What many folks don't realize, is, uh, Paul, is that, you know, Clyde gave so much of his life trying to mentor youth, you mm -hmm. know, outside of the public eye. He was, uh, he wanted few things more than for the children to experience the wild and take part in traditional Ojibwe practices. You know, Clyde helped to organize annual maple syrup gatherings and wild rice gatherings through the Peacemakers Center, where my wife Jacqueline worked with him, where together they brought children from nearby Little Earth Housing Project from the city and would take, take them to be part of traditional food gatherings. They organized a Sundance for youth in western Minnesota for native youth to leave the city. Um, and then when I was organizing the Mississippi River Revival, and we were organizing cleanups to celebrate the river, Clyde was always a supporter. Him and his wife, Peggy, even sent their son, Crow, at 13 years of age to paddle in our canoe flotilla and traveling down the entire upper Mississippi River. When our flotilla paddled into Minneapolis, it was joined by the American Indian Movement with Clyde Bellacourt, Bill Means, and children from Heart of the Earth Survival School in the lead. I remember, so, Larry, I remember, Larry, you were kind enough to ask me to perform in 1982, I believe, at that festival. And it was a, just a joyous event. I still have the poster for it somewhere. I'll have to dig it up. But I, uh, I remember that, how hard you worked, because I got there... Early, late morning, I guess I was going to play in the early afternoon, and you were still carrying stuff up, uh, carrying trash from the river and putting it in big balls, and you still had to play and organize the whole thing. So, but as you and I have been, you know, we've shared, we've shared protest lines together and dozens of gigs over the years, and I want to salute you, Larry Long, for doing incredible work, uh, you do, uh, guided by the light of the great Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger. And uh, oh, you. you do you're doing great work, Larry. And that was a beautiful song, by the way. I 
I really enjoyed that. We're going to, at uh, the end of this segment with you and your lovely wife, we're going to play one of your songs as well. You so were singing with uh, Cats Into the Stars at that show. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and I, a, and, I, be- and I remember because you, I think you just had a, had arrived just shortly before that, uh, you know, in Minneapolis, and the band was, Cats in the Stars was quite well known, and and that year, I believe it would have been the year that um, Scarlett Rivera um, sang at the festival as as well, performed at the was festival. That, was that with Larry Keegan and, and Gina LaFond? Yeah, that's correct. That's right. Yeah. Now, Keegan... Go ahead. But, but you know, I mean, you know, from the very beginning, I mean, going back to Clyde is that, you know, from a from an indigenous perspective, um, and that's how Clyde saw art. From the indigenous perspective, art is to be useful, beautiful, and long lasting. And art is it something to be consumed, but it's something to help build up a community and to be part of a community. And Clyde Bellacourt, um, he understood the power of music to convey a message and to unite mm-hmm. a cause. And, you know, through the years, uh, as we grew closer, he'd call me up on the phone and ask me to write songs for the movement, you know, which I always did. And, um, uh, and two of the most recent songs we wrote together was Redskins, I don't mm-hmm. see the native people on your team. And I recorded that with his son Crow on the drum to support Ames' fight against racist names in sports. And also the song Justice for Jason Perot, in which we honored a 14 year old boy from the Bad River Band who was shot and killed by an, Ash- by an Ashland County Sheriff's deputy. And what's interesting to note is that, you know, AIM got started on Franklin Avenue mm-hmm. against, you know, police brutality against Native people. It's when the Minneapolis Police Department were beating First Nation people, throwing them in the trunks of their cars, and hauling them to jail. And regretfully to this day, as we saw with the Mayor Locke, the battle for that justice, it continues. And... And Clyde was at the forefront of that. And that's how AIM got started. You know, I, uh, I've i known Clyde for, God, almost since I moved to town. I actually bumped into him one night at the Artist Quarter in the late 70s. And then I would I, I re-met him at uh, your event, uh, the River Cleanup. But the one thing, and talked to this very long, he was such a powerful presence and really truly a badass you know in the greatest sense of the word speak to his power as a man i mean you know there was the public life clyde you know obviously going against the forces of colonization uh, the forces of of the religions that came across from europe rooted in manifest destiny and the doctrine of discovery so when he was out there in the world, you know, confronting the forces of, of bigotry, racism, and colonization, he was fierce and unapologetic. But then there was the private side of Clyde that, 
uh, my wife and I knew really well. And it's the side of Clyde that people in the community know that he was really tender and he was very loving to his family. And he was, in fact, available at all hours to receive a call. And his wife, Peggy, often talks about it. And when he did, no matter what the hour was, Clyde immediately headed out to help out those indigenous brothers and sisters who were in need of help. You know. It's going to be a while before we see the likes of him again. Larry, why don't we talk uh, to your lovely wife, Jackie? She is a woman. Yeah, I'm going to pass. But, this is a really good time to bring the phone over to Jackie. It's good to hear you your know, voice, Larry. You know, it's because of AIM that I met my wife. Well, there you go. Did you know that? No, I was now I do. To, I was on my way to jail for civil disobedience, and uh, which ended in the workhouse. And she was a public defender in the courtroom. And my friend Rick MacArthur, who worked for the Legal Rights Center, um, introduced me to Jackie. And, uh, and now we've been married for 36 years. So here's my beloved wife. Thank you, Larry. Hi, Paul. Jackie, it's so nice to talk to you tonight. Yes. Hi, Paul. Hello. Now, tell us about you go way back with Clyde Bellacourt. Tell us how you first met him and the things you started to work on initially. I arrived in Minneapolis in 1976, just out of law school, and I was working for legal services at Chicago and Franklin. And, of course, that was just the heart of the Native community then. And I hadn't been there long when I started going out to community meetings and just introducing myself to the community. And the women of AIM saw me first, and they asked me to work on saving Indian children that were going into foster care and adoption. So we started a program that was very successful where we were helping women who had, it was mostly alcohol problems, and they were losing their children. And... What I saw and what I came to know, when I came to know Clyde, he talks to me about quite a bit, was that a whole generation had been off to boarding school and had lost their connection with the elders in the community and didn't really know their own heritage. And then when people relocated re, uh, to the cities, Alcohol and loss of jobs and all the the desperation that was there created so many problems. And then people were losing their children to foster care. And they just didn't have any roots. And Clive mm-hmm. wanted to create roots for these people, or their old roots, bring their old roots to them. And he would find ways to connect the elders. Many of them were still back on the reservations to them. And he created programs like the On the Red Road powwow, where he would encourage people, instead of drinking for New Year's Eve, to go to a three-day powwow at the Indian Center, which was alcohol-free. It was a real community event where you would see your friends and your family would be there, and there would be traditional dance. And it was just a sobriety, he called it the sobriety highway. And uh, he did that. All through the year, he would have he had a Sundance called the Gathering of the Sacred Pipes, where they would take busloads of kids from Little Earth Housing and take them out to 
experience a traditional sun dance and other ceremonies. And he take they take uh, kids up to do gathering maple syrup or wild ricing and just see that there was pride in their own heritage, that there was fun in their own heritage, that there were things to do other than drinking and uh, the different things that pe- were getting people in trouble in the cities. Now, the AIM Patrol uh, came to me when I was a young lawyer and asked me to help them raise money so they'd have the gas money to go up and down the street all night long and follow the police around. It was a very effective preventative program to stop the police from doing the things they'd been doing. And um, that was the third precinct, the same precinct we're still having trouble with. Um, He did so many positive things. You hear in the news about the the protests and you hear in the news about the takeovers at the BIA building in Washington or the takeover at Wounded But just building programs, which I, I think was the strongest aspect of Clyde's work, he helped start the Heart of the Earth Survival School in Minneapolis, uh, the American Indian Job Training Program at OIC, uh, the Legal Rights Center, which provided legal defense for people of color. Um, so many programs. I was very amazed when I arrived as a lawyer and saw all the different things that had been developed for the people by the people themselves. And then there were treatment programs with a Native American emphasis. Um, just, I could go on and on with all the very positive things that Clyde did. Yeah, he covered the waterfront in terms of social justice for his community and others. Jackie Long, do you have any funny stories about Clyde Bellacourt you could share? Yes, I one one story is that we were together at the AIM office one day and a woman, a nurse at the Hennepin County Medical Center, I don't, I think she was a white woman, but she knew the name was the, uh, I was the person to call. And she called him and she said, I was at work at, at the emergency room and I saw a police car pull up and unload two Native American men out of the trunk of their car to deliver them to the ER. And she thought it was so shocking that she called Clyde. And uh, Clyde immediately called Larry Leventhal, who is another lawyer that did a lot of work for him. And he went down there and interviewed the men. And that indeed it had, was what had happened. And immediately Clyde was on the phone with Mike Freeman, the county attorney, and meeting with him, uh, meeting with the mayor, Sharon Sells Belton, and uh, he knew who to call, and he was right in there saying, this can never happen again. And that's just an example of how Clyde was the one that got the call, 24-7. He was the one that people in the community would call if someone died. Yes, he was the man. Jackie Long, thank you for all your work over the years on the behalf of AIM and others. And uh, God bless you for uh, taking the young Larry Long under your wing and turning him into a sweet human being. (laughs) No, no. He was, we were all self-made. Yes, well, 
he uh, you you get two are perfect for each other. We're going to end this segment on the Wall of Power Radio with a song called Redskins that Larry Long wrote with Clyde Bellacourt that features Clyde's son, Crow. Thank you very much, Jackie. Have a wonderful evening. You too. Thank you. They called you the Jews, Muslims, Christians, or Hindus, Redskins. I don't see no native people on your team. First you kill us with smallpox, now you wave that tomahawk, Redskins. Welcome to the last set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz, and we've been saluting the life of the great Clyde Bellacourt. Tonight, great Native American activist, founded AIM in 1968, and passed away January 11th at the age of 85. I wanted to reach out to an old friend of mine, a singer-songwriter and performer who's at the forefront of the Native American music scene, and from my hometown, he's not there tonight, but we're talking to my friend Keith Sokola. Keith, how are you doing this evening? I'm pretty good, Paul. It's good to hear you and all the um, hello to all the listeners out there. And a great way to honor Clyde. The gun we weighed, we got done. The gun we weighed, the done. Clyde Belcourt. Now, doesn't that mean thunder before the storm? Yeah. And that's exactly what he was, too. You know, that's beautiful that people are contributing and honoring him in, in this way. When did you first meet Clyde, Keith Sokola? I was a student at the University of Minnesota, and it was in the, um, like in the early 80s. And uh, we were an activist group at the university. We had a Native club group, and there was a bunch of Native um students from all over the Midwest and uh, even in, as south as, you know, Oklahoma and as far as California, but Clyde would come around and speak and that was when the American Indian Movement was starting to form and uh, take root in it, so he affected our group very much him and other people around Minneapolis at that time. We were at the University of Minnesota and it was on the Minneapolis campus. Hmm. What, uh, what were your first, when you first met him, what, could you feel his power? Well, you know, like, it, um, he was a little intimidating because he was, you know, he was powerful in that way and he spoke out. And, and, uh, and then after you realize that, like, he's also looking for you, you know, like then you kind of enjoyed his, um, strength and you, you, you took part of it and, and he gave it to you, you know, like in in that way. But I remember, you know, like um, just being respectful and and uh, a little cautious, and you know, and 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 everything like that around him. 
Mm-hmm. What did uh, over the years? What sort of experiences uh, did you have with Clyde? Places you played, protests, or anything else? Well, we did a lot, you know, of um, of protest music, and one of the first ones we did was when we were at the university that year. We had a uh, we had a run. The the students at the university sponsored it with uh, the American Indian Movement and Clyde. And uh, the group came out, and we ran all the way to Stillwater, and we sang for the inmates over there. Hmm. But uh, we took an eagle staff and a drum all the way around, all the way from Minneapolis to Stillwater, and Clyde's group was there. And I was one of the younger guys hanging around at the University of Minnesota and took leadership from him. And uh, But mostly we were serving people, and that's what I noticed about Clyde. Um and throughout the years, I've developed a, a, a really cool relationship with him. Um, later on in his years, he got his friend who was a little bit on the autistic scale, his younger, maybe a nephew or a friend. And he really loved music a lot. And uh, he would take him to my concerts and introduce me to him. And we'd talk. And I seen a real gentle side of Clyde, you know, being so strong and and being loud and, and for our people. But I seen a real gentle side of him, like the grandfather in him. That kind of comes out. It, you know, they say it takes a 100 years for a pine tree to crown. But that's what happens to human beings, too. The, it, he was starting to crown. I mean, his love was starting to come come out, you know, from all the hardness that he's seen. And, and that's what I seen from him. Tell us about just kind of hanging out with with Clyde, sharing dinner. I know it's a, when I was reading about him that he was a really good cook. He loved to cook. You know, I, I remember uh, hanging around with uh, Dennis Banks. He he lived up near Grand Rapids, near Bema, I think. Um, and uh, we, we had a meeting there. Um, or there was a big gathering, a music gathering for Dennis Banks and uh, Russell Means. And I remember Floyd was there. And afterwards, we all went to Dennis's place and we had a sweat out there. And I got to travel with Clyde that day out to the sweat and hang with him. And he cooked out there at uh, Dennis's house. Now, when you say that, he cooked us all breakfast. And nice. <laughs> it was really good. Like he had deer sausage and. You put a little wild rice and <laughs> the scrambled eggs and things like that. <laughs> now, oh. when you when you say, it, I remember that the, the gentle side of it, and he was a joker too. He liked to laugh, um, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, he liked the joke too. <laughs> well, he was such a handsome and powerful presence, and a real gentleman too. I I've had several experiences with Clyde Bellacourt over the years, and. You always walked away from him knowing that that man was a visionary. Yeah, I, I really wanted to, like, um, Clyde and I talked about a few, few years before he passed just recently about doing some collaboration. You know, I always wanted to do a spoken word piece with him um, and, and have him talk about some of the rights that, that, he, that he spoke so eloquently about. And when they speak and things, and so 
I think his legacy is out there, and I'm sure that he has spoken speeches and things, and he has such a legacy of leaving things. But he walked his talk. You know, I seen Clyde, a picture of Clyde from the Minneapolis Tribune, and he was laying on the sidewalk in protest, you know. And, I, and mm-hmm. here's a 70-year-old grandfather. And I said, this man <laughs> walks his talk. And it made me love him even more. Well, there was a great, when I was doing a little research on him, there's a great picture in 2000 when he went to meet Nelson Mandela to appeal for the release of Leonard Peltier. And you want to see a photo of two powerful human beings. Uh, I suggest anybody out there in the Wall of Power Radio Orland to uh, to check that out. Keith Sicola, when are you coming back to... Uh, to, to Minnesota, we have to hook up. I'm looking forward to hearing you play and to play with you. So, when, what's on your calendar? Well, I know, like in the spring, I, I've had some things up, but I, um, some opportunities come up north. And you know, I, I know with the COVID thing, some things got rescheduled, which I kind of don't mind being home. You know, just getting through it and everything. So it looks like in in the end of April and early May I'll be up there. My grandson's going to turn one years old at that time, oh, and nice. uh, one of my grandsons. And so I'm going to try to be up home, you know. Grandpa Keith, I love it. You know, it's funny uh, that bumper music that I use uh, at least once during my show that was sung by your friends Shannon Gunderson, Sharon Ro- Robottom, and. Uh, 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 Rosella Gams. So, uh, <laughs> the divas. The divas, yes, and they are. I'm very proud to say Keith and I grew up uh, in Virginia, Minnesota, and the surrounding communities, and uh, we've been playing music on and off for years, and I'm so proud, Keith, of your career. Tell us one last story uh, before we end this last segment with your spoken word piece, uh, as many as I could. Tell us what, how are you going to remember the great Clyde Bellacourt? I think you remember someone like that with action. You know, you, you put into action the words and things you were doing. You know, and what he stood for was our people. And he stood for the victims and he stood for the survivors. And, and so we keep creating music and we create, keep creating art for these people in, in his honor you know we'll stand up almost like a quantum dream it comes to us in and it comes to us from the sky and we honor Clyde's vision by by becoming who we are you know by living our life um, in a good life a good way um, they call it mental bequejigan mental mental a good life is is the best way we can honor someone like Clyde Keith Sacola, that is a beautiful way to end this tribute to Clyde Bellacourt. I want to wish you the best. Uh, stay safe. I look forward to seeing you this spring. And thanks so much uh, for sharing your memories of the great Clyde Bellacourt. All right, Miigwech, Paul. We looked up to you a lot, too. You're quite an influence on us. And, and uh, that's one of the reasons I'm playing guitar. So Miigwech. These are the words of Louise Erdrich. Life will break you. Nobody can
can protect you from that. And living alone won't either, for solitude will also break you with its yearning. You have to love, you have to feel. It is the reason you are here on earth. You are here to risk your heart. You are here to be swallowed up. And when it happens that you are broken or betrayed or left or hurt or death brushes near, let yourself sit by an apple tree and listen to the apples falling all around you in heaps, wasting their sweetness. Tell yourself you've tasted as many as you could. Thanks for listening to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This show is produced by Paul Mensa, engineered by Brett Johnson. We would like to thank our guests tonight, sharing their stories and love for the great, late, great Clyde Bellacourt, including Lisa Bellinger from AIM, Mary and Jackie Long, and musician Keith Sokola. My book, Alphabet Jazz, is coming out probably sometime at the end of March. It's uh, poetry, prose, stories, and songs. It's going to have 14 free song downloads on there. If you buy the book, follow me at paulmetza.com to learn more about that. And I'd like to remind you, like my dad used to remind me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.